Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all out this morning on this winter's day, even though it is 2nd of March. It is the 2nd of March, isn't it? It is. All right, let's turn in our Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you, to uh, the book of Ephesians. We're continuing our preaching series through that book, and um, trust that the, the word this morning is going to encourage us and challenge us and enlarge us. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are, is where we are going to be this morning. So double denim. Last week, um, if you missed last week, I introduced my sermon last week with, with a few phrases that have been introduced into the Oxford Dictionary. I wasn't going to say anything, but since Dave has mentioned it, and one of the phrases that I used last week was the, the word double denim, which is now an official English word. So if you don't know what double denim is, I guess this is what double denim is. I also mentioned twerking, but I'm not going to show you what that is. Um, Let's move right along. Sanctify this place, Lord. Sanctify your minds in Jesus' name. (laughs) Father, thank you for the joy of family. Thank you for the joy of worship and the privilege that we have to gather in your name and to to learn uh, from your word and to be enlarged and to be encouraged and to have fun while we do it, Lord God. And I I pray, Lord God, this morning would be just a, a, a continuation of this incredible time in your presence. I pray, Lord God, that you would, uh, by your Spirit, um, uh, just uh, prick and pierce our hearts. Uh, Make make our hearts ready to receive the the seed that is your word. Make our hearts receptive to the truth of your word, Lord. We want to be those that produce fruit for the kingdom. And and I ask, Lord God, including for myself as well, Lord, that every single one of us would be able to hear your voice. Not not my thoughts or instruction or encouragement, but, but yours, Lord, your heart and your word coming through. So we pray that in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to um, frame my sermon this morning by, uh, in my introduction, coming right out of the gates with a phrase that is probably going to challenge or at least hopefully get you to think something through while I'm preaching. And I want you to grab hold of this phrase because, um, uh, as I say, I hope it challenges you, but it's going to be unpacked or explained in a little bit more detail as we go through the sermon this morning. And the question or the phrase or the point that I want to make right off the beginning is this. Listen, listen close. How is it possible for us to truly know God who is community without, us, without ourselves coming into community? How is it possible for, for us to know God? How, how is it possible for us to experience God who, who is community, who exists in perfect community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without ourselves coming into community. And this is going to be the, the challenge that hopefully this morning's sermon will leave you with as we, uh, as we go through this particular text together. So with that in mind, let's jump right in. Let's read the text. And uh, I'm going to make some, some introductory comments. And then I'm going to work, uh, walk us through the passage. And then right at the end, I'm going to spend some time really driving home this point that I made through my introduction. So follow along on the screen behind me, or if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read through to the, uh, verse 22, the end of the section. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, and that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away 
have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his word. Again, just an incredibly rich and uh, powerful text that we're going to be unpacking. And I hope that uh, God will speak to us this morning. Paul starts this particular text with the word, therefore, and uh, um, don't worry, I'm not going to take as much time over this word as all the other words in this particular section. But we've got to set the scene by, by that word. The, the, the virtue of that word, the meaning of that word means we have to set the scene. Paul is referring back to his train of thought, which began in the very early part of Ephesians chapter 1. And so just allow me uh, three or four minutes just to set the scene so that we can get the, the fullness of what God wants to say to us from this particular passage. Paul starts, if you remember, in Ephesians chapter 1, helping us understand what is the origin of our citizenship. And the origin of our citizenship finds its, its, its roots in the very purpose and plan of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, Paul um, helps us realize that, that God's plan, God's purpose, is to bring everything under the rule of Jesus. And that includes you and me. He wants us, he wants our friends, he wants our family to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, from that place then, Paul encourages us to pray for a revelation of the citizenship. It's not just one thing to know about it intellectually, but, but, but uh, Paul is encouraging us that we would get a revelation, a heart understanding of what the citizenship means. And he encourages us to pray specifically to the Father to ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. The way we know ourselves is to find is to know Jesus better. That's the point that Paul is making. And very specifically, Paul encourages us to pray for three things. He says, firstly, pray that you would know the hope that accompanies being called by God. Secondly, he says that, that we would know the, the reality or the incredible riches or the treasures of what it means to be God's inheritance. And then thirdly, Paul focuses perhaps more specifically on this third one than the other two. He says uh, th th that we should pray to know or to experience this incomparably or immeasurably great power that God has exercised in us through Jesus Christ. And it's this great power, which, is, which Paul expands at the beginning part of chapter 2, it's this great power which raised Jesus from the dead, is also the power that is at work in us, that we were dead in our sins and in our transgressions. We used to walk that way, but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that raises up us up from the dead. And so not only are we recipients of this immeasurably great power, but God raises us up and displays, and Paul uses this phrase, his immeasurable grace. 
or, is, or, or just the greatness of God's grace. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Megamind. It's a favorite in our, in our, in our household. And Will Ferrell is the character Megamind, and he's got this protege, which he says to him, he says, you have been blessed with unfathomable power. And I haven't done a good job. I know he does a much better job. No, you are, be, you are blessed with unfathomable power. And the protege says, what is that? And Will Ferrell, Megamind goes, uh, it's power without fathom. Well, we need to realize that we've been blessed with power and grace without fathom. That's, that's the point that Paul is, is, is making. It is this grace of God, this unfathomable, immeasurable, the, the greater greatness of grace is at, is at work in us, raising us up and, and, and knitting us into this particular family called the, the local church, which is what we're going to speak on today. We must realize, friends, that not only does the power of God raise us up as a singular person from the dead, but God also knits us into this community. And that's what we're going to speak about today, this community called local church, this community that is described by the fact that we are citizens of a kingdom, that we are part of a family of God, that we are also building blocks cemented together into this thing called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend some time unpacking and looking at that. Can I just say before we go any further, that concept, the concept of us being knitted into a community is so countercultural to the, 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 the culture in which we live right now. I would suggest that we're, we live in a nation, in a, in a time in our nation, where interest or intrigue in spiritual things has probably never been higher. But at the same time, I feel like there's such a, a disdain and a disgust with what people would call organized religion or, or the importance of being part of church community. And don't just think it's the stinking world out there. Let me tell you, if, if you look at statistics, and I found this out this week, statistics prove that more than 80% of Christians in this nation believe that it is possible for you to flourish as a believer of Jesus Christ outside of being part of a local church community. 80% of Christians believe that. And so right now, this is not just a word for, for the people out there. This is a word for every single one of us to understand the significance of what God does. We love verse, uh, uh, we love verse 1 through 10 of chapter 2, which we spoke on last week, because it speaks about how I was dead and how I was enslaved and how uh, um, uh, I was condemned and now how I have been raised with Jesus and I'm alive with Jesus and I'm seated with Jesus we love that verse because it's all about I, it's all about me. But we're very nervous and cautious when we approach verse 11 because verse 11 tells us that it's not just I who have been raised, I've been raised, but I've been knitted into a community of God. Some of you might be sitting there and thinking, well, does that mean that in order to be saved, you have to be part of a local church? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is how great do we believe God's power to be? Do we, be, do we believe God's power is only sufficient to, to raise me from the dead and to set me free from bondage, but it's not powerful enough to heal my heart so that I can knit into a local church community? Because let's be real, that's probably the reason why most people don't commit to a local church. It's because of hurts that they've experienced. Let's believe that God's power is not just able to raise us from the dead, but knit us into a local church family as well. This is a, a, a comment that I'm going to come to towards the end of the sermon, but while I'm throwing out bombs at you, let me throw this other one out that you can think about while we, while we go through the sermon. We limit the presence, power, and work of God in our lives 
to the degree to which we isolate ourselves from healthy Christian community. I'll read that again. We limit the presence, power, and work of God in our lives to the degree to which we isolate ourselves from healthy Christian community. All right, let's jump right in and see what uh, the Lord will say. So the the outline that I'm going to follow this morning is actually identical to the outline that I followed last week. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I spoke about the work that, firstly, the place that we were as, 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 Christ, as before we got saved, before we received Jesus, verse 1, 2, and 3 of, of chapter 2 speaks about where we once were. After that, the second part of last week's sermon was what, what God has done to us through Jesus Christ. And then we ended off last week in verse 10 saying where we are right now, where I was, what God has done where I am right now. We're going to use that same outline, but instead of I, we're going to talk about we. So verse 11 and 12, where we were before we knew Jesus. Verse 13 to 18, where what God has done through Jesus, and then verse 19 to 22, where we are right now, what God has, where God has brought us into. All right, you follow along? You with me? It's okay to to talk in church. Don't uh, feel you've got to sit there and be absolutely silent. You can, uh, as I said last week, say, hurt me, Jesus, or preach it, brother, or something to that extent. (laughs) All right. What we once were. What we were before we knew Jesus. Verse 11 and 12. Let's read together. Therefore, remember that formerly you you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul is addressing those who were formerly Gentiles. Paul is addressing us. Don't, don't read this passage. Don't read this text and say, well, this is for people back in, in, in those days. No, Paul is speaking to us. We, well, most of us here, I, I presume, were, were Gentiles or are Gentiles by birth, but we're no longer, because we're believers in Jesus, we're no longer Gentiles by citizenship or spiritual identity. But Paul is reminding us of what we once were before we knew Jesus. Do you remember last week's sermon, the first three verses, I spoke about the fact that Paul was emphasizing who we were as individuals before we knew God? Well, now what Paul is doing is speaking to us corporately and saying as Gentiles, those who didn't know before you, did, before you knew Jesus, I want to explain to you who you were in relation to God's people. God's chosen people at that time was the nation of Israel. And Paul's going to unpack and help us understand how we were or how we related to God's chosen people of the time. Let's look at it together. Three things that Paul mentions that that separated Jews and Gentiles, separated us from the, the then chosen people of God. He says firstly in verse 12 that we were separate from Christ. Think how tragic that is. We've, we spent last Sunday unpacking the incredible truth of what it means to be in Jesus. The amazing truth of the fact that we're no longer dead. We've been raised with Jesus. We've been seated in heavenly places. Think how tragic it is to, 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 to face the truth that we once were excluded from this incredible reality. More than that, though, as Gentile believers, we didn't even have the hope of a promised Messiah. 
If you read the Old Testament, Israel was constantly prophesied to by prophetic people. The Old Testament scriptures, which always spoke of the promise of of a coming Messiah. The nation of Israel had the hope that God would one day deliver them. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those famous passages that we know, that prophetic promise of, the coming G, of Jesus coming. For unto us, Isaiah 9 says, a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne. Israel enjoyed the hope of a promise, but, but we as Gentiles didn't, which is what Paul is meaning by when he says we are separate from Christ. Secondly, he goes on to say that we were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and we were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Complicated little verse, but simply what Paul is trying to say was Israel was a nation under God. Israel lived with the reality that God was their king. They were called a theocracy, which means God was the king over Israel. But not just that, God committed himself through various covenants to his people, the Israelites or the Jews. And Paul is saying, as Gentiles, we were excluded from that. We didn't have the privilege of of being part of the kingdom of God, and we didn't have the privilege of being part of God's covenant people, the people of promise. And then thirdly, Paul says in verse 12 that we were, Gentiles were without God and without hope in the world. William Hendrickson, who's a great Bible commentator, says this about this verse. He says, we were Christless, we were stateless, we were communityless, we were hopeless, and we were godless, which sounds incredibly depressing, but, but Paul wants us to remember who we were. If you look at verse uh, 11 and 12 twice, Paul says, remember, remember who you were. And, and last week, I spent quite a bit of time explaining who we were as individuals outside of God for this ex- express purpose. I believe this is why Paul wants us to remember it, because the greater greatness of God's grace shines brightest when we understand who we once were outside of Jesus. Paul wants to remind us, we need to remind ourselves, friends, of who we were outside of Jesus. As I said last week, before we knew knew Jesus, we weren't a little spiritually dull. We weren't going through a tough season. We weren't struggling. We didn't need a bit of religion. We were dead, and we needed the life, the resurrection power of God to bring us to life. Second point, the second uh, part of my sermon is what God has done through us through Christ Jesus. And look at uh, verse 13 with me. I love uh, verse 13. First two words of verse 13 remind us, hopefully, of of verse 4 from last week's sermon. Remember the the, the incredible uh, darkness of who we were outside of Jesus? And then verse 4 says, but... God, God steps in. And once again, Paul has done that. He establishes who we were, and then he says in verse 13, but now there is hope because God has intervened. There's there's excitement in our hearts because we know that it is by God intervening that we find hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. This, this concept of, of a people of God being far away but being brought near is a, is a very familiar concept to Jewish people. Those phrasings and those words are used often in the Old Testament. But what is radically new, what is radically different, is in the Old Testament, if you were far away, you had to, you had to uh, uh, go through certain rituals and sacrifices. What Paul is introducing, this radically new concept, is if you are far away, the way you are brought near is through the blood of Jesus. 
and by being in Christ. The blood of Jesus refers to, to the reconciliation that, that God has made possible for people to be reconciled to him through the historical, factual, re, real events of Jesus dying on the cross. And the, the concept of being in Christ means that, that you and I, as believers in Jesus, personally appropriate or personally receive the reality of reconciliation on the cross by receiving Jesus into our hearts as Lord and Savior. In verse 14, Paul goes on to say that, that Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. I'm just, uh, just follow with me if you can. Uh, it's going to get exciting towards the end. Uh, and, uh, uh, we, but we've got to get the text into us. We've got to get the word of God into us. I don't want to just preach the, the fun, happy stuff. We, we've got to get the word of God into us, friends. So, so stay with me. Paul says that Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul is... Paul is particularly using this temple metaphor to, to, to drive home the point. And, and while we read this, we, we think about the, the temple that once was in existence in Jerusalem. I want you to remember that when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. So this was a very real analogy, a very real illustration that Paul was saying. And, and within that temple, every Jew and every Gentile knew that there was this physical wall that divided Jew from Gentile. In the temple of God was this inner court where only Jews were allowed. And, and outside of that was this wall, and, and, and there was this thing called the court of Gentiles, where only Gentiles were allowed. I found out this interesting fact that about 120 years ago, archaeologists discovered a stone from the wall that divided the courts of Gentiles from the inner court. And it said this, it said, no Gentile is to go beyond the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught doing so will only have himself to blame for his death, which will surely follow. Friends, I say that to, to drive home the point that that's the extent of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. The, the Jews who were the people of God and the Gentiles were excluded by this, not just by a physical wall, but by the spiritual barrier. And Paul explains what Jesus did to, to, to destroy this wall. He says three things. Look at verse 15. Firstly, Jesus abolished the law. Jesus abolished the law. The, the Torah, the Old Testament law, was, was, the, was the spiritual barrier that divided Jew from Gentile. And Jesus says, uh, Paul says, Jesus has abolished that in his flesh. On the one hand, Jesus came to, to earth as you and I, just like you and I, as human, as a human man, and lived here on earth in complete obedience to the word of God. Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. But more than that, on the other hand, Jesus allowed the righteous judgment of the law to fall upon him. He became sin for us. He, 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 he allowed God to place on him our sin. Jesus not only lived the life we should have lived, but Jesus died the, the death that you and I should have died so that we could become the righteousness of God. In 2, Corinthians verse 5, in 2 Corinthians 5, that's what Paul emphasizes when he talks about salvation. Friends, don't just think salvation is God forgiving your sins. It's way more than that. It's God forgiving your sins and placing on you the complete and absolute perfect righteousness of Jesus. That's what happens when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you in a neutral place. 
He sees you in the, in the infinite, if you can, whatever number is, 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 is massive, that's the, that's the credit that you have in your account because of, of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and, and while Paul is referring specifically in this case to, to, the, to the Mosaic law, can I just say this? Not only have we died to the Mosaic law, but we've died also to legalism. We need to understand that, friends. We've died to legalism. There's something within us. And, and, and maybe I'm being a little too vulnerable, but there's something within us, and I know it's within me, that, that wants others to conform to our image or what we think is the image that Jesus wants us to be conformed to. There's something that is religion, religious in us that, 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 that does that. And I want to say, friends, understanding grace, understanding the doctrine of grace is, is absolutely essential if we're going to evangelize the city effectively. We're not evangelizing people to become part of church in the city. We're not evangelizing people to look like me or look like you or to live like you. We're evangelizing people to win them for Jesus. Romans 8 says, God is conforming us into the likeness or the image of a son. We're not conforming people into our image. God's conforming us into the image of his son. We've died to, to legalism. Secondly, in, in the second part of verse 15, this is incredible. Paul goes on to explain that, that Jesus has created something new. His purpose, the second part of verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new man. Not one new man singular, one new man plural. One new people group, one new race, one new citizenship. Not Jew and Gentile, but a brand new people of God. That's who we are. We are the people of God, friends. God has created now this new race, this new kingdom people. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if I can just read this, this, this paragraph. He says, the church, listen to this, the church is something absolutely new that has been brought into being. Something that wasn't there before. It is comparable to what happened at the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. How does God make peace between Jew and Gentile? It's not by modification, and it's not even by improvement of what was once there. God doesn't take a Jew and, and, and do something to him, and then take a Gentile and do something to him, and thereby bringing them together. No, it is something entirely new. It's a new creation. We are part of this new people of God, friends. And then thirdly, what he does is he reconciles both Jew and Gentile to himself. Verse 16 and verse 17. Friends, Gentiles need Jesus. And, and I hope I'm not offending anyone. Jews need Jesus too. Because we, 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 we all have this opportunity by, by receiving Jesus into our hearts to be born into this new creation, this new citizenship, this new people of God. Now look at, me, look at uh, verse 18 with me. This is one of the most incredible passages in Scripture. For me, this is the crux of, of the sermon this morning. Verse 18, look at the results of, of Jesus now having abolished the, 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 the dividing wall, the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Verse 18 for through him, through Jesus, we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Look at that verse. Look at it. For through him, 
Through, through Jesus, we both have, have access. We've both been introduced to the Father. We, we both are allowed to come freely into the Father's presence because of Jesus by the one Spirit. This is, this is radical stuff for a Jew to, to read. This is radical stuff for a Gentile to read. Notice, if you, if you can, notice the Trinity that, that Paul mentions. That we have access by Jesus to the Father through the Spirit. Do you remember what I said in my opening, my opening uh, challenge to us? How can we ever get to know God who is community unless we come into community ourselves? Well, this is the answer to that first part of my opening question. God is community. God exists in perfect, in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have, it says here, we have access, we have access to the Father through Jesus. Jesus is our way in. Jesus is the, the one who, who provides the introduction. Back in South Africa, many years ago when I was in, in business, I worked for a, a chemical company. And the company that, that I worked for manufactured this particular chemical. We were one of five manufacturers in the world of this particular product. And uh, uh, over the seven or eight years that I was there, we were blessed enough and privileged enough to become the, the, the number one producer and manufacturer of this particular chemical, this particular product in the world. And as a consequence, our company won the uh, South African, ex- the, pres- the South African, the President's Export Award for Export Excellence or something to that effect. We, we won this fancy award from the President of South Africa. And myself and my boss were invited to this gala event to, to, to receive this award. And because we were one of the award recipients, we were invited to this private cocktail party. Uh, where Not that we would get to meet the president, but we would be in a room of maybe 50 or 60 people where the president was. Having this cocktail dinner before the presentation awards. And I remember we were given credentials in order to pass through the security so that we could gain access into the, the room where the president was. And I had put my credentials in, in I think I'd put them on the table, or I had misplaced them for a moment. And we hadn't gone into the room yet. And I remember trying to get into the room where these select 40 or 50 people were meeting the president. It was Tabo Mbeki, who was the president after Mandela. And security guards stopped me, and I couldn't have access. But my boss, who was already in, vouched for me. And he said, no, 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 he's with me. You can let him have access because he's with me. That's what Jesus has done for us. We come and we try to get access in our own name to the presence of the Father. And the Father doesn't know us to that degree because we're in sin. But when we're in Jesus, Jesus is our access to the Father. We're clothed by Jesus. We're clothed by the righteousness of Jesus. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5 said. God placed on us the righteousness of Jesus so that we could gain access into the presence of the Father. And look at what, look at what he says. It's, it's, it's through him we have access to the Father by the Spirit. This is not some intellectual thing that you've got to drum into your head. I'm a son of the Father. I'm a daughter of the Father. This is something that comes to us by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is poured out into us. By the Spirit of God, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father was the same phrase that Jesus used or the same term that Jesus used to refer to his Father. What a a radical thing to suggest that we could call God by the same way that Jesus called him. But friends, it's, it's by the Spirit. 
I remember being, I remember being saved, getting saved and, and knowing I was saved. But then when I received the Spirit, when the Spirit of God was poured out on me, suddenly I, I understood what it meant to cry out, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, we receive the spirit of adoption by, by which the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Friends, that's the great blessing of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that we go after the gifts. I taught a class on the gifts. So please, don't think I'm not after the gifts. I love the fact that we can flow in the gifts. But for me, friends, we can so easily trivialize the baptism in the Holy Spirit when we forget that the the Spirit of God poured out on us is what enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. It's an assurance of sonship. It's an assurance of, of the confidence that we are now part of God's family. We have access by Jesus To the Father, through the Spirit, is what Paul is saying. All right, I'm bringing this into land. I'm nearly finished. What? Well, actually, I'm not nearly finished, but we bring it into land. Ten more minutes and we'll be done. What are we now? Where we were, what Jesus has done, where we are now. I told myself this morning not to get intense, and that's not working out so well right now. Please know, please know, my intensity is nothing more than just passion for Jesus. And wanting to preach his word. That's the reason for my intensity. I'm not mad with anyone. I'm not angry with anyone. I'm not preaching at anyone. I'm just loving the word of God. Amen. Amen. Number one. What are we now? Verse 19. Number one. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Look at verse 19. We're citizens of God's kingdom. Friends, your passport has been exchanged for a new one. You are no longer primary and Ameri- primarily an American citizen or a South African citizen or whatever, whatever, whatever nation you were born in. You have a new passport. Your passport is from heaven. You are a citizen of heaven who are, who's just living here on earth. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And you're becoming, can I say this? You're becoming that which you already are legally. Forgive me, I've used this illustration a couple times before, but, but I think it just illustrates the point well. We're about to, we're about to qualify for American citizenship, and, and, and we're going to be doing so this year. And when we get our passports, we are legally Americans. But to most of you, to in fact to all of you, we still sound a little South African, and we still at times act a little South African. But over time, friends, listen, over time, we're becoming more and more American. We're becoming that which we already are. Most of you sitting in this room understand the fact that you are, are citizens of heaven, but you get frustrated because you realize that you think sometimes like a citizen of earth. And you act sometimes like a citizen of earth. But don't be discouraged. God is making you. God is fashioning you. You're becoming that which you already are, which is, what Paul, which is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10. By one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, we're becoming that which we already are. Secondly, the second thing that we are is we are members of God's family, not just citizens of a kingdom, but we're members of God's family. God is not just king. God is our father. We're not just citizens of a, of, a, of a nation. We're brothers and sisters of a, of a family. And then thirdly, Paul says that we are being built together into the temple of God. Not just citizens of a, of, of a kingdom, not just members of a family, but we are building blocks, being cemented together to create this temple in which the presence of God lives. 
I want, you to, I want you to grasp the extent of what I've just said, please. You are building blocks. You and I are building blocks, cemented together to create this temple by which the presence of God dwells by His Spirit. Think about the significance of those words. Think about the implication of that. Paul, Paul uses the phrase that, uh, that Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple. Jesus is that perfect, the cornerstone in, in, in old-fashioned times, biblical times, was this perfect, perfectly dimensioned stone which was placed at the corner of the building. And every single block in the building was, was positioned off of the cornerstone to make sure that the house or the temple was, was, was strong and sturdy. And Paul goes on to say that because of the cornerstone, we are able to be joined together, speaking of unity, and we are able to grow together, speaking of maturity. Friends, if Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life and not the cornerstone of this church, friends, we will never live in unity and we will never mature as a body. There are people in this room with a myriad of passions, the gifts of the Spirit, healing, social justice, the homeless, uh, education, business. But if whenever we make one of those passions the cornerstone, suddenly we're not able to be joined together and grow together. But if you're passionate about business, but you make Jesus the focus of your passion for business, and if you're passionate about social justice, but you make Jesus the center, and if you're passionate about the gifts of the Spirit and healing, but you make Jesus the center, suddenly we can be joined together in unity, and we can grow together in maturity, because Jesus is the center of what we do. If you're visiting here today, that's why we speak so much about Jesus, that's why we sing so much about Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name for, for God to move. Because it really is all about Him. It's not about us. It's about Him. Gordon Fee says this about this little section. He says, This temple imagery especially emphasizes the church as the new temple, the present place of God's habitation on our planet. Here is the place of God's presence in the midst of His people, especially when they are gathered to worship and to encourage and instruct one another. Friends, this is the answer to Moses' prayer in, in Exodus. Remember Moses' prayer? God, how can, how can you send me? How can you release me? How can I go in your name unless you go with me? What's going to be, distinct, what's going to be the distincting, distinguishing factor between me and your people and the rest of the world? And God says, my presence will go with you. Friends, the church is the answer to Moses' prayer. The Spirit of God upon us as a body is what distinguishes us from the world. And we are being fashioned into that temple. All right, let's bring this into land. I want you to, I'm going to close and I'm going to get very practical and I'm going to challenge you guys. So this is a time to, to if you haven't already, this is a time to jump in and just to, just to try to kind of listen to what I, what I want to say. I want you to notice, have you noticed the progression of intensity of relationships in those three pictures. Citizens in a kingdom, members of a family, building blocks cemented together. Do you see the progression of intensity, of, of fellowship, of connectedness, of, of being part of, of this local church? So I go back to my original question, which was this. How can we ever hope to know or experience God, who is community, 
without ourselves being willing to come into community. And this is where, I, this is where I'm going to challenge some of you. And, and I want you to listen to this. So it's so a huddle up. Listen, does your ownership, and I'm not speaking about this church. I'm speaking about a local church. If it's not this church, it's, it needs to be another church. Does your ownership and involvement in a local church line up with the metaphor of being a building block that is cemented together with others to create the temple of God? Is your ownership of and your involvement in a local church, does it line up with that metaphor? And this is where we've, we've got to allow ourselves to be challenged by Scripture. We, we, can read, we can read Scripture in our devotions. We can listen to a sermon and say that was good or not so good. Or I was encouraged by that Bible reading this morning or not so encouraged. But until we allow the Word of God to, to impact us to this degree of practical application, it simply will be nice words on a page. So this is not me condemning you. This is me asking you this week, please, as the leader of this church, I encourage you and implore you, please go away and ask yourself the question, does my involvement in a local church match up to the metaphor that Paul is using, that we are building blocks cemented together to create the temple of God? And I want to make leave two comments as you think about that. How many of you have heard of the band Pink Floyd? I'm probably showing my age. You're just another brick in the wall. You know that that song? All right. First point as we go. Contrary to what Pink Floyd says, you're not just another brick in the wall. You're not just another brick in the wall. Your existence in this church or whatever local church you're a part of, your existence in this church is the same as a brick being in a wall. A brick is able to, 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 to be supported in a wall because it is surrounded by other bricks that are holding it in place. And your place in that wall is able to hold other bricks in place in the same way. Think about that as you consider the question that I put before you. And secondly, I want you to think about the reality that we are a community of God's Spirit. Verse 22 says, And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. Can God, by His presence, inhabit a stone? Can God, by His presence, inhabit a stone? Well, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe yes, maybe no. But the point is this. The point is this. Can God? I don't know. But the point is this. God cannot inhabit a stone to the degree to which he can inhabit a temple made up of stones. Do you you see what the point I'm trying to make? God inhabits a temple made up of stones way more than he does just inhabiting a stone. Friends, we're not called to live out this walk of following Jesus on our own. We're not called to be stones lying on the ground unconnected to one another, housing a portion of the presence of God when God wants to knit us into a local community where together we are cemented into the wall that creates a temple that God dwells there by His Spirit. We limit, and I mentioned this earlier, but I close with this. We limit the presence and the power and the work of God in our lives to the degree to which we isolate ourselves from Christian, healthy Christian community. 
And so, Father, as we, as we just think on these truths, Lord, and I know for myself, I'm, I'm equally cha- I'm challenged just as much, Lord. Father, I, I pray that, that there would be no condemnation from this message, but I pray just conf- conviction and challenge and exhortation for, for us to, to bring our lives in line with the, with the truth of your word. Father, I know for some people are saying, yes, amen, great word. And for some people might be saying, I, I can't do that. I've been hurt too many times. But Lord, we believe in, in your power, your power to heal, your power that raised us from the dead, your power that set us free from bondage, your power that, 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 that has raised Jesus. And, by, and because we're in Jesus, we are, we are raised also. And Lord, I ask on behalf of every person here, no matter where we're at, that Lord, we would experience your power in in giving ourselves, not to the church, but to you. And as we give ourselves to you, you knit us into the community. Father, would you send your spirit even now? Those who are orphaned in in the spirit realm, those who who struggle with this concept of you being father, those who struggle with this concept of, of what it means to be part of a family, those who, who live maybe with something of an orphaned heart. I pray, Lord, we, we sang so wonderfully today because you were speaking to us about your love. Lord, we open our hearts, maybe nervously, but we open our hearts and we say, Father, let your love flood our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, Fill us with the love of the Father. Fill us with the love of the Father. Heal, Lord, the hurts in our heart. Heal the, the bitterness in our heart because of, 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 of hurt from, from other churches or other relationships or, or because we come from weird family models. Lord, heal that in us, we pray. And, and Father, I, I pray for a, for a, for a corporate outpouring of your spirit upon us that we would know that you are our father that we have access into your presence through you jesus just as you think on those things maybe you're here today and and you've never made a commitment to receive jesus into your heart and you've heard me some of the things that i've shared and 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 you might not fully you probably don't fully understand everything i I didn't fully understand everything i preached either but (laughs) But just, I want to say, God, God wants you to, to, to receive the gift of His Son, Jesus. We don't know the Father. We don't come into relationship with the Father by, by being religious. We come into relationship with the Father by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. We come with an, with an open hand, and we say, Father, we've got nothing to give you, but, but I, all I know to do is to put my trust in you. That's what... That's what that's how we say we're saved by grace, a free gift, through faith. It's by putting our trust in the Father. And I want to say to you today, if that's you, if you're saying, I, Steve, I, I want to know God. It's as simple as saying, Father, I trust you. I don't understand it, but I open my hand to receive the gift of Jesus. If that's you today, I would love to pray with you right now. Could you just lift your hand? And I'd love to leave you in a, lead you in a prayer where you can receive Jesus into your heart and say, Father, 
I want to receive the gift of your son, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Is there anyone here? Just lift up your hands so that I can see you. I'd love to lead you in a prayer this morning where you can receive Jesus into your hearts. Thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation, the good news of the gospel. Lord, as we go from this place, may we be those who would preach it boldly because we are recipients of your goodness and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Good word. Amazing thing about the book of Ephesians and and the way Paul writes, he spends the first half of his letters talking about these big concepts, and the second half it gets into the practicalities of what that actually looks like. So if you're wondering about this community thing and and some of the details of what Steve talks about, we're really going to be getting into a lot more of this as we carry on. But right now, before you get caught up in, in the details... It's, it's, a, it's a matter of understanding the position and, the, and, and what God has done and what he has achieved in us and where he's placing us. So uh, I know most of us come from fairly dysfunctional families. I don't have to guess. That's just statistically true. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's true. And, and the idea of family is messed up because we live in a fallen world. So your idea of what it looks like to be in this family is going to be tainted by that. Your idea of father, your idea of mother, your idea of authority, it's all confused by what we're living in every day. But the Lord wants to renew our minds through understanding Jesus, understanding what he's done. So I want to encourage you that the ministry team is going to come up in, in just a few minutes. Um, don't get too caught up in, in the how, but ask the Lord. to The stuff that Steve was speaking about, God, I want this to be a reality in my understanding, in my heart, that yes, I am part of this community. Yes, you have placed me. Yes, I am called. I am in your family. And, uh, and we'll work out how that, how that works out, how you relate. If you've never had a father and you've got to relate to the father, Lord will walk, walk you through that. If you've never had brothers or sisters and you don't know how to share toys, uh, and now you have to share things here in this family, we'll work all that out together. Do you know what I mean? That's a good example. My kids are figuring it out every single day. <laughs> you, you guys have grew up without brothers and sisters. Man, that must have been fun. But anyway. Um, all right, so Steve said to me, I'm tired, so I should watch, my, uh, watch myself. So I think that's what he was talking about. I'll just stop right there. Ministry team, come up. Uh, for those of you who want to pray for Ron and Sunitha, um, they're going to be over here. I, did I say worship team? I meant ministry team. Ministry team, come up. So it happens when you get caught in a snowstorm, driving on the I-65. We're done. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this word. And Lord, we pray that you continue through the rest of the day and through the week for these words to really take root in our heart, in our lives, and in our understanding. Help us, Father, as we walk this out today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.